0: Hello and welcome to Robin and Josie's Book Shambles or Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. You're listening to the abridged version of this episode if you'd like to hear the extended uncut edition you can for as little as one dollar a month by pledging to support the podcast and the Cosmic Shambles Network. You'll get access to extended episodes of Book Shambles each week as well as all sorts of other goodies like free tickets to our events and so on and so on and etc. Go to patreon.com
1: slash bookshambles. It's a forward slash but you know that again. Hello there and welcome to another episode of Book Shambles. Producer Trent off the top with some admin and announcements. As always, lots of shows coming up to remind you of. Uh, Next up, we are at the British Science Festival on September 12 with a performance of Signals, the comedy play about radio astronomy and aliens and such things, as well as a panel uh, that I will be inexplicably appearing on, uh, talking about using science in fiction and entertainment and that sort of thing. Uh, September 12 for both of those, With as with all the events or most of the events at British Science Festival, uh, tickets are free, uh, but you do need to register for those online. So go to the British Science website or Cosmic Channel's website for those. Also, Norwich Science Festival in October. We'll be there with Chris Lintot and Steve Pretty and Signals and Professor Lucy Green for a series of shows. Find out about those at the Norwich Science Festival website. Then we're on tour with Robin Ince's Chaos of Delight uh, throughout November. A fair few of those shows are already sold out, but there are still tickets for uh places like Penzance and Cambridge and Exeter. Uh, Exeter, there's quite a few tickets because uh, unbeknownst to us, we are doing Exeter the same night as our friend Tim Minchin is doing a show down the road. So if you couldn't get tickets to see Tim, uh, come and see us and Robin. That would be uh, a good way to spend an evening. Uh, com has got all the dates and tickets for those shows for Chaos of Delight. Nine Lessons and Carols are in London and Manchester Salford. Tickets on sale for those as well. Robin and Josie and Beck and Helen Chersky and Matt Parker and Gecko and Claudia Hammond and Ariane Shireen and Jim Al-Khalili and Dr. Carl and all sorts of people are going to be at those shows. Huge bills as always. Likewise, the compendium of reason with Robin and Brian at Hamsmith Apollo. There are very few tickets left for that. Uh, we've sorted out uh Some amazing surprise guests for all those shows. So do book now before you're upset later on that you didn't get to go. And then, of course, Sea Shambles in 2020, May 17, at the Royal Albert Hall. Robin Ince, Helen Chersky and Steve Backshaw with loads of amazing guests there as well. Tickets for that also on sale. Uh, And if you can't come to any of our live events for whatever reason, the other best way to support what we do at Cosmic Shambles and the Book Shambles podcast is to go to patreon.com slash bookshambles and uh, pledge on there. You get extended editions of every episode of Book Shambles. Find out all the stuff that got cut out uh for the main release it doesn't mean that the stuff we've cut out is any less good it's just uh we like to give our patrons something a little extra so go and pledge on there a dollar a month is the minimum and that really helps us out pay for studio time and all the the editing and the mixing and everything that goes with making the show and the blogs and everything else or just rate and review us on uh, Apple Podcasts. Five stars and reviews. Really help us out on there. Uh, share it on social media. All the all the stuff that lots of you already do. Thank you very much for that. Uh, if you don't already do that, could you? That would be nice. Thank you very much for that. Anyway, enough of that. On to this week's episode where Robin and Beck are chatting to uh, one of the most recognisable voices in British radio, Mark Radcliffe. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, hello, welcome to Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. Um, as usual, uh, the part of Josie is yet again being played by Beck Hill. So, welcome to Beck and Robin's uh, Book Shambles. Uh, but you've just come back from, at the time of recording this, you've been back from Edinburgh for about, what, five days, something like yeah, that?
2: Yeah, yep, that's right. Um- almost recovered
0: but I'll Be Back had had incredible reviews and it seems to go really really well
2: yeah yeah and um, I'm not doing it again because it is not a cost effective show Uh, um, there may have been a flamethrower amongst other things involved in it so uh, it did get filmed Um, so if anyone wants to see it, who didn't get to see it, I will post about that on social media.
0: I love hearing about those things like Edinburgh, where where Matt Parker, the mathematician, who of course you know as well, and uh, like going, uh, someone's saying, yeah, he's going to take that show on tour, but he won't be taking the lasers. And you go, yep, of course the lasers (laughs) don't go. Uh, We're joined by uh, Mark Radcliffe today, who has, uh, we should always say, uh, uh, writer and broadcaster, Mark Radcliffe, and uh, he has a new book out called Crossroads. I'm very cheap
3: to go on the road with. It's just me and a book in my little bag here.
2: Oh, I'm very so
3: That's very cost-effective.
0: Do you want
2: a, flame no <laughs> a flamethrower? A flamethrower would
3: be good, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you like that?
0: Because I really enjoy, when I was touring with, with the the book that I, I did quite recently, just that thing where you you have, feel like you're a little bit like David Banner in The Incredible Hulk. You turn up in a town, it's twilight, you know, you, you stop off in a coffee shop, you walk to the art centre or the bookshop or whatever. And then and and you do have that little moment. You can hear the piano music at the end as you get back on with your rucksack. Do 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 do. <laughs> do you think oh, maybe some people have changed in this small town? But I, I love that whole experience of 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 such lo-fi touring.
3: Well, I, you know, when I I've been in bands all my life, and um, I've been in radio for forty years, and uh, there are lots of things I understand. And when I was younger, the thing I didn't understand, I understand it a bit more now, is watching you guys. Like you know, I think that's the ultimate thing: is one microphone on a bare stage and walk on and holding an audience. I think that stemmed from watching an audience with Billy Connolly at a very. Mm. which is one of the classic bits of British stand-up, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. And
2: I do get compared to him a lot. <laughs> should I, should <laughs> I imagine there's an uncanny
3: resemblance. Um,
2: uh, you know,
3: and I always thought that it would be amazing to be able to do that, you know. And I have done a bit of that. I wouldn't call mm. myself a comedian at all, but I've done. It, I understand it a bit better now about how you start it and bring it back so it finishes and comes full circle. Right, you know, I'll put that gag on the back burner and leave it to simmer a bit, and we'll come back to it. I understand yeah. it a bit better. I don't know. He's giving but, away but, our but, secrets, Robert. <laughs> but at the time, I was thought, how would you do that? So, yeah, going in just with a book and your voice and some things to say. You know, There, there are moments of crisis in it. I'm sure you two get that as well, where you think, people are just coming to hear what I think. Is that yeah. worth the price of admission? But you there know, is a
0: delight. I mean, I think for me, but the, the, the problem with it and the delight of it is you are entirely in charge of your own failure. Yeah. And so, you know... Well, it, that's the, the
3: delight and the terror, I guess, yeah. isn't it?
0: And I, I I I love it when I was doing End of the road that last weekend just that thing of you're right that bit where you, I in my brain the whole time I'm going is this okay are they okay are they having a nice time he's he, he coughed is he got a tickly cough or is he actually bored is he But you know that that was the thing I I, I don't know if I've talked, the, my three cough rule I told this to Brian Cox the other day actually when we talked talking about when he's doing you know explaining ideas of the universe yeah I said the three cough rule is if if you hear someone in the audience cough Oh, come on, it's autumn. Everyone's got a bit of a tickly cough. Second person coughs. Well, that was very soon after that previous cough, wasn't it? That Well, maybe, well he's probably got a tickly cough as well. Third person coughs. They, they've lost concentration. They're, they've all gone, Mom, well, I'm, I'm enjoying this, but I am noticing the, the tickle in my throat. And at that point, you have to go, Time to put on a show. To, you know, something up the ante. That's, that's my... So
2: it's three people, though. It's not the same person coughing. Oh, no,
0: someone coughing yeah. uh, persistently. No, that's absolutely fine. Yeah. Okay, I've actually good. had people, I once explained that on stage during the winter where everyone had a bad cough and I had all these pain. I really do have a bad cough. After. I didn't, no, no yeah. I did accept that, that that time it wasn't just due to the tedium of me. Um, just that time. Mark, we'll start off with uh, Crossroads is uh, about the, the the moments in popular music where there was the, the turning point, those moments where very often someone is sat there and that first time for individually, sometimes when we hear something we go, that's, that's entirely new. So I yeah. want to start at the possible end of music, and then we'll work back to the folk music of Lowestoft in 1742 eventually. Okay. Mark Fisher, who you probably... Do you know Mark? He was was a a wonderful uh, kind of cultural commentator-critic. Sadly, died about two years ago and uh, uh, used to do the K-punk blogs and Mm -hmm. stuff. And there was something of his that I read. It might have been in one of the K-punk blogs, uh, where he was talking about pop music, and he said, if you played the music of 1989 to someone in 1959, Mm -hmm. they'd go... What is this? What is this? But if you play the music of, I'll say, 2019 to someone in 1989, that reaction doesn't occur. Because there is a point where, I mean, I was thinking of this again, watching End of the Road, seeing brilliant bands like, you know, Black Midi and uh, uh, New Country, uh, uh, what's it? uh, uh, Black Country, uh, New Road. Black Country, New Road. and, and And they're fantastic. But they don't make me go, what's this noise? There's a little bit of me going, oh, it's a little bit like Take Omega by Can, isn't it? And, mm. and I think this is one of the problems for kids is... That they can't rebel with music, because we go. You do know this is very much like uh, the Stooges, don't
2: you? Do you feel that... you have listened to dubstep, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, well, I think
3: that that's an interesting thing that you, that you, you know, both of you, because you know, I was very conscious of doing this. That when you know, the, the, I think when Grime started, you know, people like me from my background did not understand it at all, and so it, with guitar music, with guitar bands, you're absolutely right, Robin. You know, I hear everybody and think, oh, it sounds a bit like such and such, you know, which doesn't matter because you know, I'm 61 years old. If you're full <laughs> You haven't heard all the bands that I've heard and been to see... You know, I'm a bit sort of resistant to... You, you know, your friend Steve Lamarck, I don't know how he does it, really. He seems to have this unquenchable thirst and hunger for people doing the same thing over and over again. i say, so, like, you've seen this, Steve? For 40 years, haven't you? You know, it's like someone says to me, Oh, do you want to go and see, I don't know, some new guitar band, you know, the Schnurdles. And, <laughs> I, say, and I say, Well, what do they do? They say, Well, you know, there's two guitars, bass, and drums. And I say, Well, what time will they come on? They say, Oh, they'll be on this club at about half 11. I said, No. <laughs> I'm going to be in bed for an hour and a half by then. I've, I've, I've hung around in enough dingy night spots watching four skinny blokes in t shirts play guitars, you know, since the early 70s. I don't need to do it again. I might enjoy their records, but I don't need to go and see them again. No, Black Midi, I would quite like to see. Just they for were the, great for the drummer alone. Oh, the drummer was amazing. That's what I'm fascinated by. That's the one. Th- the changes
0: that I have seen may well not be musical, but they are in terms of like the feng shui of the stage, where ah. the drummer is no longer always at the back. I saw at least two bands where the drummer was Yeah, I I saw Lonnie Holly as well. Do you know Lonnie Holly? No. Oh man, I think I hope I've got that name right. I mentioned him yesterday as well. He's this fantastic guy. who just uh he's got a kind of organ, he's got a band and he improvises. He's about 69 years old. Apparently when he was about 5 he was sold uh for a bottle of whiskey, one of these weird things and and it's like and again, he was. it wasn't like I went, this is new, but where his drummer was. It's like watching King Crimson where you go three drummers at the front three and they're all doing the, the same thing yeah. and it is really confusing my mind. So those, I can still get very excited, even if the music, I don't go, this is a revelation. I still go, it's a joy to
3: watch this I mean I write about one of the chapters in the book about how the perfect pop group has to be four people and it has to be the singer in the middle and the drummer at the back and the bass and the guitar on either side that's just a design classic you know so any group with um, any group with five members in can never be the classic pop group so that rules out the rolling stones or five (laughs) or five indeed Indeed. or five star first time they've
2: both been used in the same sentence maybe (laughs) yeah and um uh,
3: and uh, it it even rules out the beatles because the the classic is the bass player's got to be the quiet one so for the beatles Uh to be a perfect pop group the bass player would have had to be george Oh, that's
0: yeah, that's it.
3: I saw watching The Stranglers
0: again recently and seeing yeah. JJ, and I remembered when I once saw The Stranglers followed immediately by Motörhead and see two such kind of dominant bass players was, yeah. was again, that. So your excitement about me, I mean, going back... I saw um, The
3: Stranglers, it was 30 pence. Wow. 30 pence at the squat at Manchester University, The Stranglers, yeah. yeah. That would be about 1976, I think, yeah. Well, that's, that's one of the things that I loved in your book was...
0: Because I, I remember I probably first went to Manchester when I was about 18 years old. And it was still, to some extent, the Manchester you talk about. When you talk about, for instance, there's your, your chapter where you talk about Woody Guthrie. Mm. And you talk about the fact that uh, you're just there filming on the street. Outside what is now the Hacienda Apartments, which is just such a bizarre. Every time I walk past mm. there, I remember queuing up and imagining what magic would be in there. Mm. Uh, and now just seeing that apartment block. And you're told, oh, well, this is private property, even though it's a public walkway. Mm. And some of your images of, you know, when you're parking to go and, you know, work on Piccadilly Radio in your old Renault before you have your four pints. Yeah. That vision of Manchester is a very different vision of
3: Manchester very different very different and i think that's true for a, a lot of cities really you know I mean when, when i was a student the funny thing we no photographs because no one had photographs now everybody photographs themselves mm. all the time you know and uh, it's so easy to do and you know like we no i didn't have anyone i knew who would take a photograph when we were going out because you'd need to take a big hulking expensive camera mm. you'd probably get drunk and lose it or fall over and smash the lens and even if you did take some photos, you'd then have to go to Boots, yeah, to leave them to be developed. And of course, because you'd been drunk when you took the photographs, most of them were out of focus or with your thumb across. So <laughs> it was a really expensive and really pointless hobby: photography. Yeah. So there are no, <laughs> so there are no photographs really. And so, um, but the odd one I do see, and 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 I'm I'm always thinking of those Kevin Cummins photos of Joy Division on the on the bridge in Hume in in, in inadequate clothing in the snow, and um. I think you know the the odd photograph that I've got of me and my friends in Manchester when we were students, it looks like East Berlin just after the <laughs> war or something. It is so austere and dark and and all the glass and chrome that we associate with cities now, there's none of that. There's the old proud municipal buildings and the central library with its fabulous portico and pillars. There are those buildings, but around it is scenes of dereliction, really. What became GMEX, a big venue, was Central Railway Station, which had been derelict for years, with just the clock frozen in time on the front. You know, and all the windows broken. And that was the city that we knew as students, really. There was, there was nowhere to go. It was dark. It was pretty frightening if you veered off the main drags, really.
0: I remember even when I first went there about 1987, wandering through Manchester just on on, on a Sunday afternoon. Mm. You know, it, nothing like that. But that, that's it. One of my favourite things in your book was uh, and thinking about architecture, thinking about how kind of industry and society around you makes the music, is you're very celebratory of the Midlands. Yeah. in chapter Which is something that I love. I, I think the sense of humour... And the way that also the Midlands is very often people are quite demeaning about it. I love playing Birmingham and Northampton and all of those places and Leicester. I think there's a different sense here. And, and you write there about, you know, things. I mean, one of those great moments, the first time that you, that you hear Black Sabbath and you, yeah. that you, you hear Paranoid.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think there's something um, particular about, you know, people who've become very successful from the West Midlands are still the most down to earth and funny people that I've met. And I've met quite a few, even Robert Plant. Who was at one point the biggest rock star, the biggest, most glamorous rock star in the world. There's never been anyone more glamorous front in a band than, you know, the Leonine Robert Plant. <laughs> yeah. With a little blouse open to the... And, you know, the hipster... I mean, it's, a, again, a design classic... And yet he's really funny and still lives around there and goes to watch Wolverhampton Wanderers. And I don't have any famous friends except for um, uh, Noddy Older and Roy Wood. He, as, a, as a young woman, these names may not mean much to you about but
2: um, um, they, My mum's from uh, Swaddling Cope in Derbyshire. There you go. Yeah, yeah. There you go. So, um, so Some of them do ring a bell. Right. Not, not to put you... Both on the level of my parents. That's but... fine. That's, fine. that's <laughs> fine. I think we both are closer. Yeah, that's fine.
3: Much absolutely fine. No, that's <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, Roy Wood, the move, or one of Britain's pop geniuses, I think, and still unacknowledged to some degree, and Noddy Older from Slade, you know, mm, whereas yeah. one was from America. And they're just the most wonderful, down to earth company. I believe Jeff Lynn from ELO is the same. I don't know him. Yeah. Go on. Can you get ready for a
0: clang here? Oh yeah, is yeah, is yeah, this a name is, drop? yeah. So anyway, I was round Eric Idle's house having dinner with Steve Martin and Jeff Lynne. That's the biggest, by the way, story I ever had. There's right. nothing, nothing happened. Steve That's Martin, the worst thing. Is Steve Martin is, played I did, the banjo for you? The, 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 no, but Jeff and Eric did because they were coming on the next day to play the theme tune to Infinite Monkey <gasps> Cage, and ever since then my career's gone downhill. Right. Well, yeah, uh, well it's
3: gone downhill but, from quite a high point.
0: But that moment, and you, when I was reading that, I was like, yeah, Jeff Lynne. What an absolutely delight for you. As you say in the book, you know, the people he has worked with, the people he has produced, the fact that he's in the list, I think, of the top five producers of pop music of all time. He was and in he... a band with Roy
3: Orbison, uh, mm. Bob Dylan and George yeah. Harrison.
0: And it's just... <laughs> and exactly what you said. Just uh, absolutely charming, lovely, still he's lost none of that fantastic Midlands attitude. Yeah. And, and it's... Uh, My favourite thing is, if you ever go to Walsall, you'll know about this, I'm sure, Walsall has a wonderful art gallery um, and uh, the lift has Noddy Holder. Mm. So he goes, floor three, art deco. And it's just fantastic. (laughs) And 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 the first time people go there, you can see their faces going, I wasn't expecting that, but it's made me delight in (laughs) the art even more.
3: It's nice. It's site-specific, isn't it, as they say. So I don't know really why that, and I don't know why that is. And I wondered whether, when I was writing the book, and I wondered whether... um, there was something to do about city rivalry. Like, some of the chippiness of Manchester people is because they've got Liverpool so close by. Mm. And Liverpool's, a, you know, kind of, you know, its own powerhouse of artistic endeavour and creativity. But again, very sort of sarky and quick sense of humour. Yeah. And so, you know, the Manx and the, and the Scousers, there's always that rivalry. I wonder whether Glasgow and Edinburgh is the same thing. I wonder to a degree even whether Sheffield and Leeds is the same thing, whether there's a... Whereas Birmingham... It's kind of on its own. I know yeah. what you're talking about with with Leicester and, you know, people... Obviously, we're a small country, but mm-hmm. there are people near to wherever you are. But Birmingham, or whether it was something to do with it being geographically placed in the middle of the country, so that in Manchester there's still this, uh, like, you know... I still do it, call it, oh, you know, i mean, that there London today, as if it's a yeah, foreign country, yeah. you know. And, there's uh, and I mean, I think I'm from the north of England, and people who are sort of, you know, live in Newcastle say, you're you're in the Midlands, mate, you know, because yeah. you're in Manchester.
2: Birmingham uh, feels like the middle child. Yeah. Where, like, the, <laughs> yeah. the north, the eldest, you know, London's, like, the youngest, they're constantly fighting, and then Birmingham's like, just, yeah, you're right. can you guys just calm down? We just want to get to the place on time. <laughs> That may, you may be right.
3: You know, I think I mean I sort of say something similar to that. In the, but it's like you know, they've nothing to prove really, and they can yeah. go to London quite easily if they want to. Yeah. So they don't need to feel anti-London.
2: No. <laughs> no, but at the same time, they yeah hold their own fine. Yeah. 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 Mm. So
3: and 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 Tony Iommi from Black Sabbath was mm. um, another guy who I found to be. Like that. I mean, I'm sure there's another side to Tony i because he's kind of run Black Sabbath for now on 50 years and people have come and gone and I'm sure there have been some tough decisions that he's had to make and some people will say, well, he was a complete to me. But, um, you know, and and I just think that that is one of the great crossroads moments in music because, um, which is, is, you know, where he, um, the day before he leaves to form Black Sabbath, to be in Black Sabbath professionally, He's, he's the league guitarist in Black Sabbath and his mum says... He says, I'm jacking it in tomorrow, so I'm not going into work today. And his mum says, you jolly well will go in. <laughs> you jolly well... She was kind of, you know, Italian vineyard stock and a work ethic. Mm. She says, you will go in. And he went in to, um, uh, to working in a foundry and uh, he was put on a different machine that he'd never worked before. And on that last day at work, he sliced off the tops of his fingers. This, on the day before he leaves to be a professional guitar player. And it's like... so. That's And the Crossroads moment comes because he, this, it's so agonising when he plays the guitar that he thinks, I'm going to have to take some tension off the guitar here. So he detunes the strings and suddenly they make this deep, growling, guttural noise which Ozzy Osbourne describes as the gates of hell opening and he's invented heavy metal after an accident with some heavy metal.
2: Wow! It's amazing.
3: It's amazing. <laughs> and to this day, if you look at a close-up of him, on it, on, he's a left-handed guitarist, so the left, the left hand is on the frets. Um, he got some peculiar leather. He started making them with the tops of fairy liquid bottles, but he, but he's got some peculiar leather and sort of tabs on the top of his fingers, like little sort of heavy metal thimbles or something. Yeah. So he can love- play the
2: guitar. I love the specificity of, uh, you know, the word I meant, the, uh, of the fairy liquid bottles. Yeah. Just of, all, of all the bottle tops to use. Yeah, he melted them down, the fairy liquid that bottles. That is heavy. It's, it's heavy. It's very fact that metal. It was the fairy liquid advert
0: was always about how soft your hands were. But if yeah. in that reveal you then saw that one of the hands had lost two of its fingers, I feel that would have affected sales. Yeah. There's something there that's less alluring.
3: <laughs> I think. And then, because he was inspired by the great uh, gypsy jazz guitarist Django Reinhardt mm. um, he had three fingers on one hand as well because he burnt them off in a caravan fire. <laughs> there is some um, in, in the beginning of in fact that chapter about you talk about
0: 1992 Reading and uh, the side of the stage watching Nirvana. Yes. And it immediately brought back to me uh, the fact that when Nirvana played the Astoria shortly before they brought out Nevermind I thought I had a bit of a cold So I decided, even though I had a ticket, Mm. not to go. (laughs) And I thought, Mark Radcliffe wouldn't have made that kind of mistake. But later
3: on in the chapter, I find out, you did, didn't you? I did. I decided not to go to um, see Led Zeppelin because I thought that, oh, it's a long way, that there London. (laughs) (laughs) And and of course, you know, I don't know, maybe I've always been a bit travel phobic. I don't know. But I thought like you could get a bus from Bolton to London. We wouldn't have been able to afford the train where, um, you know, maybe we'd have hit somebody who would have got a bus. Oh, Oh, it sounds a bit too much trouble, That you know. And anyway, Led Zeppelin are bound to be touring. They're bound to pass through Bolton or somewhere nearby at some point and they never did. So I have... uh... I've kind of regretted that ever since. I think it sort of was an early confirmation that I was never really a party animal because I suppose mm. the rest of them would have gone down with, you know, a hundred bottles of Merry Down Cider mm. in the <laughs> pockets of ex-army greatcoats and things and made a real kind of thing of it and I think, oh yeah, I'd rather be in bed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I think that, uh, yeah, my dullness was uh, was established at an early age, I think, but I do regret not seeing Led Zeppelin now, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah I think my, my two biggest ones were Nirvana because I thought I'll see him next time they play the Astoria, not yeah. really so I Nevermind was going to make them the biggest band in the world. And uh, the other one was, uh, oh, I was going to go and see Johnny Cash, but I'd been offered a gig for 25 quid. Oh. And, you know, I needed that 25 quid. Uh, yeah. And uh, and then, you know, opening the NME a few days later, Johnny Cash collapsed on stage. We'll never perform live again. Oh, nice. for f-
3: yeah. yeah. Oh. Is there anyone you've tried to see, and anyone you would
0: un- like
2: to
3: see, or you never got the chance back?
2: Um, uh, well, the only one recently that I bailed on and afterwards went, oh, I definitely could have done that. Was seeing um, it was a few years ago now, but it was just seeing the bees at Coco in Camden because oh. I live in Camden. Right. It's literal, like it's not like I had to get the bus from Bolton. Like no. it was, I just had to go out my flat. I wasn't even sick. I was just tired, and I went ah, oh, and I still haven't seen them live. The bees—they're mm-hmm. lovely, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Are they still
3: going? The bees—they call something else now, I think, aren't they?
2: Oh, maybe. That's that's how much attention and I paid. <laughs> <ones. laughs> the
0: bees—that band from the Isle of Wight, or yeah. I think, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah they, their big one was uh, Chicken Payback. Was right. a lovely
3: tune, but they do some other. That guys. was our theme tune on the Radcliffe and Macconi Six Music Show for about eight years.
2: That's probably so. I I got into the bees by my husband, mm. and uh, when he was out because I'm Australian, originally, originally mm. and. Uh, and he, he presented the bees to me when uh, when he came out. Yeah? Yeah, so he probably picked it up from listening to your show. <laughs> right, well,
3: yeah, good. I'm glad he got something useful out of our show.
0: Yeah, but, basically
2: but, you're the reason that my uh, husband and I are together. Oh, that's, go, right, um, okay, Now fine. That's what I've decided based on that <laughs> fact. Yeah. <laughs>
0: sorry to interrupt your podcast but i just quickly wanted to let you know uh, about the thing which is that book shambles and the cosmic shambles network exist thanks to generous pledges of our listeners on patreon if you want to support the podcast and what we do tiers start at just one dollar a month and you'll get all sorts of goodies thrown in so go to patreon.com book shambles the um but what when what for you with do you remember that the, the the moment of when you heard the possibilities of of, of of music when it went beyond just something that you listened to because I, I think some like someone like John Peel I think someone like Zadok the Priest when he heard that the the Queen's coronation I think he he suddenly went wow. This is this is not I mean, you'd expect it to be pop music, but it wasn't with him. And um, that moment where I, I think from sort of like listening to something like the specials for the first time mm. when I was about 10 years old, that was a moment of going, what is this? And it suddenly changed what you
3: thought music could be and what politics could be and all of those things. The thing I remember, I think I may have written about this. It's a well while since I wrote it, so I can't remember quite what I've written in it. But I, re- I remember in the 60s, so I was born in 1958, so sort of summer of love, I would still be 9, 67. So. And, I, and I had real no understanding of, of, of music in that sense. Um, but um, I remember hearing records like Hole in My Shoe by Traffic and Kites by Simon Dupree and the Big Sound, these psychedelic records, and... They were on all the time. It seems amazing now. They were on daytime radio. These things they wouldn't get on anywhere near daytime radio now, I don't think. And so you would you, you could hear them wafting around on building sites and coming through windows. And they all they both they, both of those records had a spoken word section, woman's voice. I climbed on the back of a giant albatross, which flew to a place where happiness reigned. And and I thought I I remember hearing that and thinking it's like a fairy tale, you know, like you might hear. Alice in Wonderland and someone yeah. telling you you're going down the rabbit hole or Wind in the Willows, you know. Yeah. There's just something with a magical quality to it. And so I thought, well, that's really, you know, it was not that conscious. I've sort of retrospectively put this on it, but it stuck in my mind that that music, the possibility of music that could take you somewhere else, you know, that you, it would take you sort of momentarily off the streets of Bolton
2: mm. where you
3: were going to buy school shoes or something. And into this psychedelic other world. As I say, I wasn't thinking, "Wow, I wonder what the psychedelic other world's like." You know, I'm really interested in the counterculture at the age of nine.
2: Yeah. But, uh,
3: but but I remember there's a magical quality to music to transport you.
2: Oh, that's what I quite like about metal, like things, well, bands like Dream Theater and stuff like that. Mm. They're so narrative led in their lyrics and stuff. It's mm. quite. It is really like it's like a fairy tale for. You know, but it's like listening to a fairy tale, but you don't feel, like, childish for listening to it because yeah. there's some heavy guitars behind it and yeah. screaming and whatnot. And
3: amazing drumming. yeah, And it's an astounding yes. Um, I think that's maybe why I sort of liked a lot of prog rock when I was growing mm. up, like, yes, and Genesis and yeah. things, and, um, and Pink Floyd, if indeed they are prog rock. But, I mean, it, um, it just, I like the fantasy element of it and mm. the fact that it just sort of took you somewhere else. So you are still,
0: as someone who is a drummer as well, you're still, that, That's is that the instrument you find after you think, oh, now I realise why I really like that, that, that the drums are still such a central
3: part to... I do love drumming. I really, I mean, I really do love drumming. I think, um, I, and I still play drums. And actually, against the advice of my own book, in a band I play drums in. It's not my band. I just play the drums. I don't sing. I don't talk. No one knows it's me. And I sit on one side in the corner. And so that's blown it anyway. But, <laughs> um, uh, but um, uh, I still love drumming. Sort of more or less better than anything else, really. And um, I. Um, I think that it was something that I found I could do quite naturally. My arms and feet seemed to move in the right sort of you know, coordination.
2: I really do that. Yeah.
3: Was, well, you know, and, and people say, oh, you know. I was, I was talking to a good friend of mine, Suzanne, the other day. And uh, she said, oh, yeah, I'm really, I really, I think you're a really good drummer. I said, yeah, fine. And she said, you know, um, is it easy? I said, well, I suppose it's like easy to be okay at these things, you know, as long as your hands and feet move it, mm-hmm. roughly in coordination. And she said... What have your feet got to do with it? I said, what, what, what do you mean? She said, well, you don't use your feet, do you? I said, well, what do you think that that big bass drum at the front is for? She said, oh, I just thought it was like to put the name of the band on and hold the other drums up. Right, right. <laughs> it never occurred to me that people didn't know that you use your feet. I mean, you, only, you don't need to use, if you're a right-handed drummer, you can get away with not using your left foot very much, actually, although these days we have the double pedal things yeah. and stuff. But, but I, I love it. I, find, I, I found I could do it. And then for years I would try and play like Phil Collins in Genesis and play along with headphones and, you know. um, And then I've realised my uh, limitations now, so I'm content to be sort of some elderly Charlie Watts figure at the back
2: that's know? still that's still worthy though. it is
3: yeah and I mean I'm you know I've, I've also played a guitar and I, uh, and I sing and so I'm think that I play I hope I play drums that sort of respects the song I'm playing mm. the song I'm not playing a drum solo yeah. I'm playing the song I'm just giving it a groove and a, and a sort of a swing to carry it along with and I'm content with that
2: is there an instrument that you can't play that you wish you could play
3: all of them really <laughs> um you know i'd really, really i mean i would i can play guitar and i do solo gigs where i play the guitar but i'd like to be lot better no no it's got to be
2: one that you can't one play that at I can't all play. yeah yeah
3: i can't play at all you can know, play a bit of piano i mean i you see i think that most Instruments apart from the guitar and the piano are sort of a bit rubbish, really. I mean, there's not much you can do with them. Guitar and piano is everything, really, isn't it? Don't you yeah. think?
2: Well, if you can but dabble in those. Anyway, if I could do
3: if, if I could do one, um, I had a flirtation with trumpet at school. Oh. You know, you yeah, Alison Balsam doing it. You think you know, or like playing a bit of Purcell on the trumpet yeah. where it goes really high. Yeah. You know, or Penny Lane. You think, God, that'd be cool to be able to do that without yeah. having an embolism, wouldn't it? I like know. Animals That Swim. Do you remember Animals Swim? I animals? do. Oh, I loved Animals That no, Swim. Like, was this were... Faded Glamour, was Yeah, that? Faded yeah. Glamour is a Great wonderful and,
0: and they had a, a, an album title that I just thought was delightful. It, 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 the album title was I Was the King. I Really Was the King. Yeah. And you can immediately see a bloke leaning on a bar. That's my image, anyway, mm. of someone just drunkenly explaining they, they were the king. They really were, and and and, and I remember the first time reading on on that album, which I think was the second album. Reading the the, one of my favourite things was always sliding out the uh, vinyl album. Vinyl was a system they used to to store music on when (laughs) we were growing up. My record Um,
2: player broke on the weekend; (laughs) stopped spinning. I have to take it apart and work it out.
0: I just love that moment of taking it and and starting to read the lyrics. And I read their lyrics, and they were so beautifully written that I thought they were descriptions of what the story of the song was. Mm. If you see what I mean. And then I went, Mm. "Oh, this is actually the lyrics." And and but they had a, a, a trumpet. And when that trumpet would come in, it was, I, I think, because it's unexpected, you're hearing a guitar band. In the yeah. same way, the discordant saxophonist, who is sometimes, you know, introduced uh, in, the, in that, pro, I suppose, proggish way uh, yeah. occasionally. Yeah, I think you should learn the trumpet. And there's I'd something like euphoric the about the trumpet, mm. isn't
3: there? Fanfares and things. Oh, you know, yeah. It's a kind of glistening sound. It's, ex- it's sort of heralds excitement, usually, doesn't well, it, the trumpet?
2: The um, uh, Hackney colliery oh, band yes. with them, Steve Pretty. Trumpeting was um, actually that's what got me to get a record player because I I wanted their um their vinyl and I went out and bought a record player so I could listen to them on vinyl, but um but that sort of yeah that actually reignited a love of trumpet for me because I'd never really yeah. Steve Pretty's very good yeah yeah he's very good
3: I mean that's the, I I talk a bit in the book about me about what must feel like to be the best in to be like with, in uh, talking about Hendrix you know mm. the, 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 you know it's very difficult it's a value judgment who's the best mm. you know who's the best songwriter you can't say it because if someone if you you like Ed Sheeran, then he's the best songwriter for you. Mm. And someone else might say Bob Dylan. No, it doesn't make either of them wrong, or indeed right. Um But you know, uh, Hendrix was the undisputed best that there has ever been at playing the lead electric guitar. You know, he was the yeah. Lionel Messi or the Pele. See, even then, I've said Lionel Messi or Pele. Mm. There's always mm. an either or about who was the best, but Hendrix was the best at playing lead guitar. You know, do you are you musicians? I'm trying- either of you? No.
2: I, I uh, desperately wanted to be a drummer. Mm. I loved drums and I have a no natural sense of rhythm whatsoever. That's which after bit, years and yeah. years of practicing and trying and turned out, I can't learn it annoyingly. No. You can't learn rhythm if it's not natural is, to is you. That I don't because, think so. Because I know so a, a lot few of comics I I who'd learn. love
0: to do it. And I think with a few, quite a few of the comics I know are quite vigilant of themselves so they can't get lost in something. If you see what I mean, so that bit that I think to be a brilliant musician, a brilliant sports person, anything like that, Mm. you have to, if you're still thinking about what your arms are doing Mm. and what that person over there is thinking and what's going on, then you are not able to loosen up enough to create. more, My
2: my body starts to... um copy my head so i'll start playing and then i get excited Mm. and then it'll speed up Mm. and i don't know i'm speeding up that's the problem i can't even regulate it i don't even notice and the way i definitely found this out was um a couple of years ago i was co-hosting a cabaret show with uh, phil nickel at edinburgh and they had a live band from nashville and they're incredible um, every night and on the last night um uh they the producer had told them that i used to play drums. And they went, Oh, we'll get back up and will play drums. And I said, no, no, you don't understand. I haven't played since high school. I was very bad. Um, you know, after years I ended up giving away my beautiful Pearl export that I'd saved up all my pizza hut money to buy. <laughs> and, um, uh, and then so they got me on stage and they went, yeah, what do you want to play? And I was like, I genuinely, I, I, I was like, I mean, go seven nation army. It's really hard to get that wrong. Isn't mm-hmm. it? Like if Meg White can do it, I can do it. And, um, and it, to me, it felt amazing, and at the and everyone was great and cheering and stuff. And I was at the end. I thought, oh, that actually wasn't too bad. And then Phil Nichol showed me the video that he filmed on his phone, and that's when I realised that they were a very good band that were very capable of keeping up with the tempo changes. Right. And um, it's I've never heard a version of Seven Nation Army so out of time. Uh, uh they kept speeding up and slowing down. Yeah. This is
0: uh, back on, on on the book something that I was um. I Really enjoyed your, your stuff when you're talk about craft work, mm. and I was thinking about the film Radio on, yeah. which is I think one of my favorite pop music films right and I was thinking one of the hard things with a book like this or a film like that is translating what the the experience of music in into the written word yeah. and I wondered how much of a challenge I, you know obviously you 've written about this a lot, but that moment, as you sit down and you want to write about what for you has been a revelatory moment mm. to express that, to take... Because I, I think that the whole time, whenever I, I go to festivals, whenever I go to gigs and I have that tremendous surge of kind of whatever it is, dopamine and all that joy and the excitement of seeing it, but if I could write it down, I, I can't write anything more than just, brilliant, it was very exciting, it was mm. wonderful, it was, there was a feeling, there was a... And so how have you found ways of, of
3: expressing mm-hmm. that joy it's a very good question, and I don't really know. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, um, you know, sometimes it's like when you do a radio show, and you, you, you know this or whatever, and it's like, you know, you do a show that's unscripted. You think, well, how do you, where does it come from? You say, I don't really know. I mean, it's, it's a kind of confidence thing, isn't it, really? I mean, when I came back, because I was, I was ill for a lot of last year, and when I came back from being ill, I was sort of it crossed my mind when I went back to the radio show. Which I do with Stuart McConey, you know, and like, you know, he's sharp and very funny and very witty and and very, you know, very uh, eloquent. And I'm thinking, will I still be able to hold up my end of this? You know, it's kind of because your confidence is a bit knocked through not having done it for four months. And I think with with writing something like this, I don't know, I don't think I ever really analyze it in that way. I mean, sometimes I think that um, um, I don't know what I'm going to write and I'll just start. I'll just start. I try never to have a blank page. I want a bit of uh, a very uh, good bit of advice with writing once, um, which was uh, a mate of mine, his mother in law is Joan Bakewell. And she was writing and she got a bit of advice from Kingsley Amis. I thought, well, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's pretty good. Because when I was writing, I always used to think, right, I must get to the end of this chapter or this end of this section, uh, you know, I, and, and then I'll stop. So I'll get to a break. And Kingsley Amos says that's exactly what you must not do. You must mm. stop while you're in the middle of something. Mm. So that next time you turn on the computer or you open your notebooks or whatever, you stop maybe mid-sentence or with someone saying something. And so the next time you get there, you pick it up straight away. That's great. And crazy. it carries on. And, it's, and that has changed my writing life, he said rather grandly. Yeah. Uh, but, um, you know, and so sometimes I'll just pick it up where I left off. But then sometimes I will start really barely. now. So I'll write about craft work. And I will, um, I'll start something, and then I find when I go back to it, which you never do until the very end, because if you start, if you keep revising, you never get to the end. Um, and so I find that the first bit I wrote, I might throw that away. It was mm. just a means of getting started. The other thing I think sometimes is that I focus on a detail about about craft work. I think there's quite a lot in that chapter about their cycling and when i met Craftworth them going shopping for sort of toiletries at boots and i met florian schneider on piccadilly gardens with a carrier bag and he was showing me in a very polite sort of teutonic way what he bought from boots the chemists you know and and so sometimes i'll try and start from not in front of the stage wow this is amazing this is orange spine but start with a kind of little detail or a backstage mm-hmm. detail or a memory of mine something very Small and specific, almost like a little acorn from which this thing grows. You know, I sometimes Mm. do that.
0: The only person I I would always see with a carrier bag in Manchester was Marquis Smith.
3: Yeah, Marquis Smith. His was usually full of. Cans of Stella. Yeah, it was. it's still one
0: of my favourite things, the wonderful um, Renegade book, where uh, there's a whole chapter in which he just basically talks about, I think, why he's moved back to Cheatham Hill, because there's a really good shop there called Superboos, mm. and they've got some great bargains. Mm. It's one of the great revelations <laughs> of uh, the artistic intent of the fall. I remember
3: talking to Marky Smith, and he he, he said, uh, I said, well, what do you like doing when you're not being in the fall? And he says, oh, well, um, I've got my wife. I like sitting with her.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's almost incredibly romantic. Yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I like Brick Smith's books when, you know, about getting married to Marquis e. Smith. And she's like she came from America to live with Marquis e. Smith in Cheetham Hill, which is a part of Manchester I've no great love for without seeming to offend anybody. There. And um, he, he mo- she moved into the flat where he'd lived with his previous girlfriend, whose underwear was still on the floor when she moved in, having come from America to live there. <laughs> I mean, blimey, you know. I wonder whether she questioned that decision at that point. But anyway. Mm -hmm. But that's, again, in in the book, there are certain bands that come up where you suddenly
0: remember how good they were because sometimes a band's reputation, or not a reputation, but the way that they appear to be be sold, like Slade, perhaps because of their Christmas song, even though it is a magnificent song, and perhaps also because they have a sense of humour about themselves. I remember going back and listening to their music and then suddenly going, my God, there's an enormous number of just brilliant Brilliant songs, rock songs, pop songs and that that's I mean do you ever find that with with certain bands you think unfortunately that the the marketing or the presumptions about them means that people have lost a sense of, of of how magnificent they are
3: well I think that I was you know I was sort of conscious in this book of writing about certain records that we might take for granted and we've forgotten what milestones they were you know I mean things like Gloria Gaynor I Will Survive you know which has become mm. one of the world's great pop anthems and um, e- even though it starts out as a song of her say, uh, she, her boyfriend's left her and she say, no you go I'll, I'll be fine on my own yeah. so it's a sort of female empowerment song but then mm. it became a sort of gay anthem and it sort of reached uh, it, it had a kind of potency uh, and an effectiveness way beyond Beyond how it started. Yeah, you know? well, it's
2: like one of the most popular karaoke songs, isn't it? Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Y- y- why wouldn't it be?
3: You know, yeah. why wouldn't it be? It's, I mean, it's a joyous thing to sing. And, and you know, I think also, um, you know, something like Love to Love Your Baby and I Feel Love by mm. Donna Summer and Giorgio Moroder, you know, those records really kind of made electronic music pop music you know electronic Mm. music was this esoteric left field thing you know people in more or less in lab coats making it you know (laughs) for harvard university students to stroke little goatee beards and nod sagely at and and um you know basically i was sort of in the book i'm saying that with craft work doing auto i mean autobahn Mm. 20 minutes of a pulse beat and sort of car horns parping up and down the autobahn you know i mean that's going to get nowhere is it becomes a huge hit album the first side of it is 20 minutes of that and it becomes a massive hit album and a big hit single the edit because basically autobahn is it, it, it comes back to being pop music it is um, it's like barbaran by the beach boys bar 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 barbaran bom 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 autobahn and bom bom it's like and so i think almost you can trace um, uh, the I mean I'm answering your question by saying this, I think it was things we take for granted and think oh that's just sort of pop you know mm. people are dismissive of it um, whereas you know great pop music is some of the greatest music ever made and I think that you could almost say that electronic music becoming a mainstream force in music which now we totally accept it's been such a dominant thing for mm. decades now you can put it down to almost three people. Ralph Hutter and Florian Schneider of Craftwork and Giorgio Moroder, I mean, they more or less did it all on their own. And that was what I was after in this book, I think. You know, these moments, some of them are geographical crossroads, some of them are crossroads in society, like, for example, when the Windrush docks, you know, and we first hear Lord Kitchener singing that, and we think, well, what's that rhythm? You know, what's that? we'd never heard reggae before. And uh, some of them are, um, uh, you know, a personal crossroads for people, and some of them are musical accidents, where it's a eureka moment. But, you know, where something just happens, they think, hang on a minute, that, that, no one's ever done this before. Um, and I don't think it's difficult to do things that no one has ever done before. The trick is to do things no one's ever done before that someone else is interested yeah, in, wants yeah. to listen to. It's, easy to. it's easy to do something that no one's done before. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, and where they just hit on something that really genuinely does change the course of popular music.
0: I love that that delight of the unlikely hit, because when you're talking about Autobahn, I then thought about, you know, Laurie Anderson getting to yeah. number two with O Superman, which is yeah. a, a, I mean, I, I love her work anyway, but Big Science is a, is a, a, an experimental kind of, a lot of it is spoken word with electronic, you know, it's, it's
3: and people yeah. have bought that, thinking, oh, okay, why, why did that capture the imagination? It's, and, it's, and, I, and I just worry, um, and I, I do put voice to this sometimes, you know, I really work hard, Beck, not to be an old man who says it was all much better in my day. Because I do get people my age who say, Oh, it's not as good as it used to be, is it? And I said, Yeah, of course it is. It's just that you're not fourteen. Yeah. You know, of course it is. You know, people say, oh, Well, Storms is not as good as the Beatles. I said, Of course he is. Yeah. If you if you are the right age and that's your music and it's speaking to you. Of course it is. I had a big row with someone I know about, like saying, Well, you know, Oasis rubbish, aren't they? I said, No, Oasis. Um, whose songs I quite like, you know, but, uh, but they are vital to some mm-hmm. people who were that age. Mm-hmm. And also, crucially, someone said, and, and they said, it's, oh, it's very much of its time away. is, so I said, well, you could say that about anything. Mm. And they said, no, you couldn't. With the Beatles, there's still something to be learned from that. I said, well, I think if you, it depends what you're talking about. If you listen to I Want to Hold Your Hand, it's very much of its time. But also, not everybody wants to analyse the words. It's actually enough to hear that kind of euphoric swagger another Oasis song, and be with 25,000 other people singing along with their arms in the air, you know, I mean, that's fine. And that, yeah. those were key moments in those people's lives, you know. So I really don't ever want to sneer at anybody for what they like. Mm. We should talk about with disco music. There was a movement called Disco Sucks where people yes. burnt disco yeah. records. You know, you think, well, why would you do that? Just don't listen to it if, yeah. you, don't, if you don't like it. And so, you know, I do think that um, it's... Um, I do think I've slightly forgotten what you asked me in the first place.
2: Oh, don't worry
0: about, about that. Adi. I feel like yeah. you've
2: come back around to how we opened. This. I think, no,
0: you're right. I mean, because that's that's what I felt in the festivals that I've been to this year, and the bands that I've seen, and it was it was like that moment of last year, the first time I saw Idols live. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it was just the first time I saw Savages live. Any of those bands. Yeah. Now, one side of me can go. I realise that much. Of this has been done before. Yeah. But that did not usurp the utter joy that I had. In watching that, or the joy of you know, only two days ago seeing Black Midi for the first time, yeah. who I, I I'd know nothing about, and I'm sure I could connect in some you know rock family tree to all manner, of, but it didn't stop the actual joy going. This is fantastic. Or seeing you know Black Country New Road, they seem to be about they're eighteen nineteen years old, yeah, and they've got these references to Richard Hell and all of these you know, and and it's yeah. The, the, the joy,
3: if you go out there, is all still there. There is. I mean, I saw Idols for the first time this year, and I'll be honest with you, I don't mind their records. I wouldn't play it at home, uh, but seeing them live, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm always up for a band who strips of their underpants and jump in the crowd still wearing the guitar i mean you know there's still a, a joy to be gleaned from that i thought i used to think i, I thought savages were great live actually i thought they oh, had real brilliant. presence real presence you know i, I, I liked them a lot yeah. you'd like her
0: as a drummer when you watch her drumming you do eventually go with a kit how can it still even be in one piece you know when you watch certain yeah. drummers and the level
3: of 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 brilliant percussive destruction.
0: Yeah. You think yeah. they're gonna have to peel
2: oh. the kit out of the floor?
3: It's wonderful. Mm. I remember seeing that with Dave Grohl playing with Nirvana at Reading. And Ooh. you thought you knew when it started is that this kit is not going to survive this yeah. gig. It's no way. Because if any of it's left from the ferocity with which he played it, it's gonna get turfed around the stage anyway. And sure enough it did. <laughs> We've run out of time. Um uh Mark Ratcliffe Crossroads
0: is uh was out now. Uh It it will be, even if it's not now, it will be by the time this goes out, because this will go out the week that it comes out, I imagine. So, uh, Mark, thanks very much for coming
1: along. Thanks for having me. Great to see you. Thank you very much for listening. And yes, indeed, Mark's book, Crossroads, is out now. It's released today, if you are listening to this, on the day of release, September 5th. Make sure you go and get a copy of that. Make sure you check out CosmicShambles.com for all of our blogs and videos and events and everything else. And you can also find a link to our Patreon on there uh, to support everything we do here at Book Shambles and the Cosmic Shambles Network as a whole. Rate and review and subscribe. Five stars on Apple Podcasts. Really helps us out. Thank you very much. We'll be back next week with another new episode. Our guest next week will be physicist and now science fiction author as well, Professor Jim Al-Khalili. We'll see you all then. Bye. This podcast is part
0: of the Cosmic Shambles Network.
1: Josie Robbins' book Shambles was produced by Trent
0: Burton of Trunkman Productions.